0: Well, hey, that was uh, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, you you need to applaud the volunteers uh, that make that happen. It's who you need to to thank and appreciate. Uh, and if you want to be a part of that, uh, they can. They've always got a spot uh, for you in grace kids on the other side of the building so uh think about that well we are in this series entitled jesus is king uh, we are looking at the four names that we find in isaiah chapter 9. Uh, we've already looked at two of them this morning we're looking at the third one so if you want to get that ready uh, Zephaniah chapter three is the verse that we're going to be working through uh, this morning. Bring that up on uh, your device, and uh, while uh, while you're doing that, uh, we're also going to read Isaiah chapter nine, verse six together. So we want to bring that up on the screen, and if, if you would stand with me, let's read uh, this verse out loud together. Here we go. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You may be seated. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father... Prince of Peace. Of the four names given uh, to us from this child given to us, this child born to us, uh, this title, Everlasting Father, is probably the most intriguing because when you read uh, the scriptures and what the prophets and the gospels uh, have said to us about Jesus, uh, Isaiah 9, this is the only time that Jesus is actually referred to as the Everlasting Father. We know Jesus as as with many different titles. But this one, it's important for us to understand what Isaiah, uh, that he's not uh, confusing the Son, the second person of the Trinity, with the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. This is not a Trinitarian uh, title. It's more of a descriptive title. You know, not uh, not unlike the other three titles that we have here. Uh, He's telling us what this Messiah is going to be like. He's describing to us. Uh, This son given to us, Jesus, the incarnate son of God, uh, is the only one who can reveal God to us in a way, uh, helping us to understand what God the father is really like. You remember in the gospels, Jesus said, I and my father are one. If you've seen me, uh, you've seen the father. And so he helps, uh, God reveals himself to us most clearly uh, through the life of his son, Jesus. And so we see in Jesus a father-like figure. Jesus is fatherly to us. He treats us like every a good father would treat us, uh, teaching us. And, and this, is, uh, this is what your heavenly father is like. Jesus came to us to reveal to us our heavenly father. Everything that you've ever wanted in a father relationship, maybe the things that you lacked in a father relationship, what you dreamed the father to be, all the imperfections of your earthly father relationship is perfected in this relationship that you have now with Jesus. He shepherds us. He guides us. He protects us, provides for us. His love is unconditional. And his thoughts toward us are good and for our good. This is what a real father does. This is what a real father is like. Uh, I found this video clip uh, this past week I thought it was pretty amazing it's self-explanatory so direct your attention uh, to the side screens and, and watch this clip as millions were flying home to spend Christmas with family one father and daughter celebrated the holiday in the sky so this sweet story is making the rounds after an Ohio passengers Facebook post went viral he says he sat next to a man named Hal on Christmas Eve who booked six flights why did he do it in order to spend Christmas with his daughter Pierce, who is a flight attendant. He booked six flights so he could share the day with her. Uh, Pierce later shared the post to let her mom know that dad (laughs) made all the flights, and she called this adventure a success. I love that That story. A father who will do anything so he can spend the day. I feel like my dad would have done that. Okay, that's a cool story, isn't it? Uh, but what I think is particularly what, what I wanted, wanted you to take notice of. Hopefully, you hopefully you caught that. Uh, the the news anchor at the very end of that story. You catch what she said? I think that's what my father would have done. If my if, if I was a flight attendant, this is what my this is this is something my dad would do. This is something my dad would do. So I want to ask you this morning: is is it is it something that you you think about your earthly? Father relationship is that something that your dad, uh, given the opportunity, would have would have done. Psalm one hundred three says, "As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him." Some of us had had great dads. They loved and supported us. They taught us. They protected us. They provided for us. Uh, they came to our games. They disciplined us fairly. Uh, you know, they weren't perfect, but they were good. And friends, that, that simply helped those of us who had great dads, helped us to understand and embrace this concept of a, of a God in heaven who is actually our heavenly Father. Psalm 68 says, a father to the fatherless, that God sets the lonely in families, that God is uh, drawn near to those. with." Some of us had more challenging relationships with our father, maybe a non-existent relationship. Maybe that relationship was one of criticism, emotionally detached, maybe demanding or passive, even abusive in particular ways. And it's created a struggle for us to understand, to trust the Bible when it says that God is your Loving Heavenly Father, you you want to want to ask what well what does that really look like? What does what does a Heavenly Father? What kind of Father is He really? Regardless, uh, this is this is what we know from both research and personal experience. Human beings are created with the need to be nurtured and empowered. All of us need to be raised in this world that's full of challenges. And then we need to be launched in this chal- into this challenging world with the tools, not just to survive, but to actually thrive in life. You cannot, uh, you cannot overestimate the importance or overvalue the importance of a father figure in a human being's life. And especially when it comes to s- our spiritual relationships, Paul Witts, who was a professor of psychology at uh, NYU, uh, researched the lives of famous atheist men, uh, names that we, we would recognize Freud. Nietzsche, Voltaire. and researching all of these men's lives, the one common denominator uh, in the lives of these uh, influential men who rejected God was uh, having an abusive or non-existent relationship with their earthly fathers. That somehow their their relationship with their earthly dad influenced, uh, shaped, determined uh, how they viewed uh, their creator, how they viewed the eternal God. You cannot overestimate the place of a father in a child's life. Now, this is not at all to minimize the incredible work of single mothers and how they hold their families together when the dad is not present at home. Uh, most of the time, uh, women are the heroes uh, in single-parent homes, but even more so, this hero, every wise, uh, heroic mother, uh, would, would not ignore uh, the impact uh, of that absent father in their homes and what it does to her children it takes a father and a mother to create a child it takes a father and a mother to nourish and to prepare a child uh, to move into the world with full thriving and when either one of them is absent uh, there is a wound inflicted that uh, the other is simply not equipped to fully compensate for we we know that to be true And so as I said, I mean, it happens both ways, but I think uh, most all of us would agree that the most prevalent wound is the father wound. And so the prophet, we looked at this context last week, uh, moving into this era, this period of life where it's difficult and dark and distressing and and a time of despair, the prophet prophesies a light to come into our life and to guide our way, a uh, a light to expose uh, the darkness and to help us guide our way. And among many of the characteristics of this light is the everlasting Father. Uh, the Hebrew word and its tr- uh, English transliteration is on the screen. Uh, it's pronounced aviyad. Everyone say aviad. It's the combination of two Hebrew words, avi or avi, which means father in Hebrew or, and the word ad, which is really kind of an odd word because it's hard to translate. There's, there's many different words uh, that can be translated from ad again and again or until uh, it refers to uh, uh, this idea of perpetuity, Uh, This is where we get the idea of everlasting. He shall reign forever and ever. That's the word odd. So uh, literally, it could be translated the father of perpetuity or the father of eternity, the father beyond time. Many scholars believe that the best translation is father forever. Father forever. This child born to us, this child given to us is our forever father meaning his fatherhood is without, end. he will never stop being the father. More importantly, he will never stop being your father, your father. I don't know about you dads, but I, you know, most fathers view their children in a way that they, view, they don't view anyone else's child. I had someone tell me 30 years ago that they wouldn't take a million dollars for their kid, and they wouldn't give a plug nickel for yours. This father-child relationship is unique. There's dynamics in that relationship that cannot be duplicated with any other relationship. And so God is your forever father. He views you as as his forever child, which is to say there need be no fear that this father will ever leave you, walk out on you, abandon or forsake you. He will not renege on his responsibilities nor relinquish his place in your life. He knows your name. He understands your hurts. He is aware and attentive to your life. He is active and involved. The human heart longs for a love that will not end and a love that will not fail, a love that is not conditioned on one's worthiness to be loved because this love is not about you. It's about him loving you, your forever father. So in the time remaining, I want us to look at one of my favorite verses uh, in the prophecy of Zephaniah. Zephaniah is called one of the minor prophets, not because he was minor in any way. It's just that his prophecy can be read in about three or four minutes. We don't have uh, much of what he has to say, but what he has to say is very powerful. And so his message to us is, is not unlike all the messages of all the prophets. We've broken covenant with God. We've gone our own way. We've done our own thing. We've dishonored and disobeyed God. And God is going to do justice against that disobedience because he cannot ignore sin. And yet he loves you. And so he's going to show mercy to you. He's going to do all that he can to bring you back to him. In fact, in the, in the beginning of this chapter, chapter 3, uh, he calls Israel daughter, So he's already establishing this father-child relationship. So in the context of this relationship, he says this in chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Zephaniah describes to us what an incredible father God is to us. Even in the midst of justice and judgment, Even when you need to be disciplined because of your disobedience, the Father has compassion on you. Let me give you five characteristics of this forever Father. Number one, he stays with me. This forever Father never leaves me. The story of Christmas is about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Friends, he didn't send someone else. He came himself. He is the real deal and he will never change. He is the everlasting Father. He will never walk out on you. He will never be too busy for you. He will never miss your special days or ignore your personal needs or minimize what fills your heart with joy. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He actually wants to be with you. We see this in Deuteronomy 31 where it says, do not be afraid, the Lord your God goes with you. Matthew 28, I am with you always from the words of God the Father all the way to the words of God the Son. Your heavenly father, your father forever, will never leave you. Here's the second thing. He saves you. The mighty one. We looked at this word last week. The mighty one, El Gabor, the warrior who fights for you. The hero who comes to your aid and secures your victory. He saves us, some, sometimes even from ourselves. Friends, you will never know God as the mighty one to save until you realize you actually need saving. This, this is the gospel, the message of Zephaniah, all the prophets. And sometimes this message can be confusing. If, you re, if, you're, uh, if, if you've read the Bible, ever read the prophets particularly, we, we kind of center in on all the you know, the doom and gloom and God's going to get you sort of thing. And we, we miss these elements of hope because uh, with the judgment is always the compassion And the mercy, with the judgment, is always the rescue. With the condemnation, there's always the exoneration. There is coming a day when God will be the judge because of our disobedience. But he will always come as a merciful, forgiving God. How can those two things, am I judged or am I forgiven? How how does this happen at, at the same time? And what Zephaniah was looking forward to in faith, you and I today can look back in hope. What was that day? When was that time in history, in human history, where we see both the judgment of God and the forgiveness of God? Isaiah prophesied it. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Friends, it's on the cross that Jesus got the justice and we got the forgiveness all at the same time. It was on the cross where he was getting what we deserved and we were receiving what he deserved. God was both just and justifier all at the same time. He is the God who saves. Here's the third one. He rejoices over me with gladness. Now, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that tell us to rejoice in the Lord. But friends, this is the verse that tells us that the Lord rejoices in you. You realize that? He rejoices in you in you with every baseball that you hit with every cannonball that you attempt with every song you sing and picture you paint from every school production and every athletic uh, performance when you are crying out dad did you see that are you watching me can you are you dad are you here and your heavenly father is not sitting back saying well you should have done it this way There's nothing more, uh, for me anyway, and I know for many of you, there's nothing more frustrating and nothing more disappointing uh, than our personal daily time spent with God. I don't know about you, but there's been many mornings and many days when I ended up at the end of the day, and I'm not giving God the time that he deserves from me. Have you ever been disappointed about about that? listen i you know there there's this common pervasive view or thinking among jesus followers that god yeah god loves me but he's pretty disappointed (laughs) he loves me constantly but he's disappointed consistently friends i want to tell you that can't possibly be true it can't possibly be if the bible is true if the gospel is true if you have placed your faith in jesus and in the finished work of jesus god now looks at you through the blood of jesus and he sees you as righteous and holy and forgiven and pure. And so it, can't poss- it cannot possibly be true that you are a disappointment to your heavenly father because of Jesus. Uh, maybe th- this will help. I, ha- I have a granddaughter. I don't know if you guys know that. But, uh, <laughs> um... And she has just, in the last couple of months, learned to walk. Well, she, she, actually, she's still learning to walk. She's pretty, she's pretty unstable. Uh, when we're with her, we're, we, you know, you got your hands out like this, you know, just kind of you know, making sure that she... she now, here's, the thi- here's the thing. No parent worth being called a parent uh, ever scolded their child for falling down when they're learning to walk. I mean, what do you do with an infant who takes a step and then falls, takes a step and then falls, takes a step and then falls? When are you going to get it right, right? No, no parent ever says that. A parent, what, what does a parent say? Come on, come on, come on. You got this. You can do this. Come on, you're gonna, you're gonna, and you clap your hands and rejoice when they get it right and you giggle when they get it wrong. You just, you just re, you're constantly rejoicing at their attempt to get it right. Friends, this is so important for you to understand with your relationship with God because life, God wants you to walk. He calls you to walk. He commands you to walk. Not because, not because walking necessarily pleases him, but because he knows that life is better when you learn to walk. Walking makes life so much more, Jesus used the word abundant, makes life just so much more abundant when you work on walking, when you put the effort into walking, following Jesus, doing what he tells you to do. Why would you do that? Because when you get it right, so much of the world is right in your life. He just wants you to walk. But what you need to understand, friends, this is so important, what you need to know is that your Father's love is not conditioned or based on your ability to get it right or the times that you get it right. You're the loser if you don't learn to walk. You're the one who misses out on abundant life if you don't work on walking. C.S. Lewis put it this way. I love this statement. If we only have the will to walk, then God is pleased with our stumbles. If you have it in your heart to pursue God and you don't get it right, God is still saying, well done. I'm, I'm rejoicing in you. Friends, he doesn't condemn you on the days you get it wrong. He rejoices in you on the days you get it right. He rejoices in you. Here's number four. He calms you. He calms your fears. Uh, years ago, uh, we lived in a house... Uh, Where the backyard bordered this train track that runs along this building, many of you have been in a service here where that train, when that train has has walked, you know, given me competition. Uh, We we lived by that train for about four years, and our our Katie was about four, three or four years old when we moved into that house, and she had train radar in all of her senses. She did not like the train. The train scared her. Ron and I learned to, to sleep. I mean, the train could go by many times in the night. We, we slept through it all. We, it, ne- we did not have train mar- radar. We had Katie radar. The thing that woke us up in the middle of the night was not the train coming. It was those little feet that thumped on the floor making her way to our bed. It's interesting what parents listen to. But I, wa- I want to ask you a question. Uh, are not your kids the most cuddly when they're afraid, you want to snuggle with your kids, you got to scare them a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, you don't, you don't want, you don't want your kids to live in fear. You don't want your kids to be afraid all the time. And, and sometimes we insensitive parents, we, uh, you know, we, we sometimes minimize their fear and we just send them back to bed. Uh, but I, I, I miss those days. You know, I, 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 never, I never tired, it never bothered me that when my kids were afraid, they would come and, and snuggle in bed with us. That, that never bothered me. What would have bothered me is if for whatever reason, they didn't feel like they could. If I had a relationship with them where they were afraid to do that, that they were afraid to come to me with what they were afraid over That they didn't believe that I was there for them in their time of need. Friends, God, God is a good father. He is not offended by your doubts and your fears. He understands your weaknesses. He understands your brokenness. He is the one who says, come to me, weary, burdened, fearful, harassed, those who need to be loved and calmed and comforted. He loves you. And you are never more safe than when you are in his love. Here's the last one He delights in me. He delights in me. He delights. The word exalt in this verse is a very interesting word. It's another word that's difficult to translate. We have as many different words in our English translations uh, trying to convey what this one Hebrew word means. Uh, here's the Hebrew word in the, tr- in the transliteration, gehil. Uh, it's uh, uh, the literal meaning of this word according to the blue blueletterbible.com uh, says, and I want to put it on the screen for you, to spend around under the influence of any violent emotion when have you spun around in a violent emotion (laughs) Uh, usually rejoice or as cringing fear uh, to be glad joy to be joyful to rejoice now I want to ask you if you are exulting over someone especially when you're singing or while you're singing does singing indicate a positive or negative mood most of the time when you're singing, you're usually happy. Happy people usually sing. And, when you, uh, and what does it mean to spin around? When you're happy and you're singing and you're spinning around. Now, most of you know that I'm a singer. What all of my children know is that I'm not a dancer. If I want to embarrass my children, all I have to do is dance. They told me I never have to do that again. I uh, Just cross that off my list. But what's, uh, what's this statement indicating? Friends, it's quite appropriate to translate this verse, maybe even more accurate to translate this verse. He dances over you with singing. Imagine your heavenly father dancing over you with singing. This is your everlasting father. This is your father forever. Like a father who stood looking for his wayward son to come home. You remember the story that Jesus told in the Gospels about a father he said this in verse 23 and 24. When the son came home, we need to w- get the get the fatted calf. We need to have a feast. We need to celebrate. This son of mine, who was dead, is now alive again. He was lost, and now we need we need to celebrate, friends. The story of the wayward son going his own way, coming to the end of himself, and realizing that it's better to be a slave in his father's house than to be a slave to your own sin and waywardness. And yet the father would have none of that. You are not, you are not a slave in my house. You are a son, and we need to have a party. And what do people do at parties? Well, they dance. They exult, they sing, and they spin around. <laughs> Now, friends, we need to remember, this is the story of two sons. The messed up one and the keep your nose clean one. Okay? Um, The rebellious son and the religious son. Which one are you? You know, the son who never got it right, never seemed to get it right. And the son who always got it right, but for the wrong reasons. And the father wants both of these sons to come to the party. He wants to celebrate both of his sons. But to the re- to the rebellious son, he has to say, "Son, you cannot lose my love with your badness. You cannot lose my love because you've not gotten it right." But then he says to the religious son, "You cannot earn my love by getting it right. You will never earn my love just by doing all the right things," which which says to all of us, friends, you. You can stop pretending to be less than you are. You can stop pretending to be more than you are. You are free to be all that you are, created in the image of your father and for his purpose, created in his love, covered in his love. He is exalting over you. He's dancing over you with singing what both sons needed to learn with that life is always better at home. There's no place like, there's no match for the father's love. What both sons needed to realize is that they have a father who would always be there for them, who rejoices over them, who calms their fears and delights in their, their imperfections, who dances over them with singing. See? See what great love the father has lavished on you that you would be called a child of God. That is what you are. Are. Now some of you are not that. If you don't know what the God of the universe is like being your heavenly father, I know someone who can make that happen for you. His name is Jesus. The one who came for you. The one who showed you what the heavenly father is like. He would rather die for you than to live without you. And so if you want to know what that kind of relationship can be like. I'm going to be at the front of the stage this morning. I'd love to answer any question you have. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to help you take that next step toward your heavenly father. But for those of you who are believers who have made that commitment to Jesus Christ, here's your assignment this morning. I'm going to put it back on the screen. These five characteristics of your forever father. He stays with you. He saves you. He rejoices over you. He calms you. He delights in you. As you move through these days of chaos and confusion, delight and distress, whatever it is for you, which one of these do you need to be reminded of? Which one of these do you need to cling to in a special way to let you know that you have a Father in heaven who is there forever and for you? I think this is a pretty good list to post somewhere so that when you get afraid, when you get discouraged, when you feel defeated, when you feel unworthy, you have a forever Father who is your Father forever. Forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for being that father to us. Father, we do not deserve a father that we are unworthy of, but it's not because of us. It's because of you and who you are. So, Father, remind us in those times where we doubt you, we doubt ourselves. Confirm in our hearts, reinforce in our thinking that you are our everlasting father and that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah